In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Rob and I are going to be talking about content promotion tactics. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 414. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you've built your first product or you're just thinking about it, I'm Mike. And I'm Rob. We're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. What's the word this week, Rob? You know, I've been thinking about my next act for a while. Have you now? I have. Is this where people start like cashing in on the pool? <laughs> totally. Yeah. What, what is Rob's next startup going to be, right? This has been a question for a while. I think it was about timing, actually, not just what it was. Oh, was be. it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because Rob said, I'm never going to do this again. Yes. Is that the, that's the thing? And, and who put money on never? I think no. Probably nobody. No one. Yeah. My wife definitely did not put money on never. Well, my next act is not a startup. It is an accelerator for bootstrappers. It's actually a, a small fund and an accelerator for bootstrappers. It's called Tiny Seed. And you can check out more info at tinyseedfund.com. But it's really the first startup accelerator designed for bootstrappers, right? So startup accelerator is something like Y Combinator or Techstars. And as you and I have talked many times, those are geared around people who have these unicorn ideas, who are going to move to a location for three months, work the 80 hours on for little pay and little sleep. And that doesn't necessarily fit with the rest of us. Right. I mean, the name of our podcast is Startups for the Rest of Us. And right, you did this after Y Combinator came out. Yep. So that's what this this accelerator is. It's designed for folks like you, me, listeners of the podcast, attendees of Microconf. I mean, kind of the people in our ecosystem, in our community, where building a million dollar SaaS app, five million dollar, you know, annual, ten million dollar annual SaaS app is actually quite lucrative. And there are so few funding sources for folks like us. And so the idea is to put more money where my mouth has been for the past several years, right? I've, I've made a dozen angel investments. Half of those have been in these businesses that only want to raise a single round of funding, often 100 grand, 250 grand, maybe 400 grand, whatever, some small, small-ish amount. And then they want to get to profitability and never do that institutional money. And so the idea is we know a lot of founders, I know a lot of founders who are somewhere between idea and 10K a month MRR is the sweet spot because most of those folks are unable to work full time on their business. And that's the kind of the value prop of Tiny Seed is it gives you runway for a year. It basically provides you with, you know, it's a small amount of capital, but it's going to be enough capital to basically live on for a year and keep you from having to do the nights and weekends stuff to be able to focus full time and you don't have to relocate. So it's remote and it's going to be in a cohort model. Let's, you know, throw out a number, maybe it's 10 in the first cohort and weekly Zoom calls and assuming a, a slight, you know, like a Slack or chat group and then weekly office hours. I mean, basically all the things you, you hear about an accelerator, except it's designed for us, right? Designed for us by us. It is remote and... It's just an, you know, another option. And I, I think the other thing is it's longer term, right? Because I, I mean, you and I both know, I don't think we could have built and launched Drip or Blue Tick in three months, right? It's just not long enough. So the idea is to get longer runway to get more traction. And since people are remote, it just, it winds up being easier because, you know, Y Combinator couldn't be a one-year thing because you're not going to relocate to a place for a year. So there's different, different elements to it, but that's, that's the basic gist. Yeah, we'll have to talk about it. I, almost think that we might want to actually talk about it for either a longer period of time and as part of like a 
direct episode on funding just because there's I think there's different ways that it could work. And obviously you guys have you have to talk internally about what you're going to publicly disclose now versus like things that you're just kind of talking about or ruminating on for ideas. So but I do think we should definitely revisit it as a part of a longer discussion topic as part of Startups the Rest of Us. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like fun. I would say at this point, we're about probably 80% locked down on terms and ideas and curriculum and thoughts and all that, but definitely more than happy to, to talk about it. And the we of it is myself and Einar Volset, who is, he's been to MicroConf many times. He's a YC, Y Combinator alum. He's had a couple exits and he's a, uh, right now he. He's a microcap M&A advisor, which I think he's like a scout for private equity. So he works with private equity companies. But you know him. I mean, you. I think you were, you know, you've talked to him a bunch of times, right? Yeah, I have a, I've had a dinner with him a couple of times at MicroConf. I mean, he's a super sharp guy. So uh, he used to teach at Cornell, I think. Yeah, he was a CS professor at Cornell for a couple of years, yeah. Right. So, I mean, he's got a PhD in computer science, but he also knows a lot about the business side of things. What was the startup that he ran? Was it... Was it it was inbox spelled backwards. Like it's zombie or something like that. Mm-mm, it wasn't zombie. It was something else. And I, there was one called App Aftercare, which was the twenty six. Like he exited in twenty sixteen. Oh, Remail. Yep, Remail. That was it. Y Combinator, and it was acquired by Google in twenty ten. He has some experience, you know, and that's where he he has you know more of the fundraising and the private equity venture capital, like more knowledge of that in the terms. So he's good at figuring out models and running. IRR calculations, you know, if you don't know what those are, you don't need to unless you're going to run a fund. But that's one of the reasons that I've never wanted to get into this is I I didn't want to do all that side of things, you know. Yeah, well, like I said, it'll it'll definitely be interesting to kind of see how this uh, plays out. I mean, it's I think that you guys are the first ones that are doing this in this particular space. I mean, all the as you talked about, like Y Combinator was aimed at people who are just going straight for funding versus like, hey, let me build a product and let me get it get a little bit of traction for it and then go out for some sort of funding. But I still want to not have to grow it into this giant thing. That's right. And I mean, even I, of course, did a bunch of of kind of research, market research on accelerators and incubators and remote accelerators. And they really, I mean, you can find a list of remote accelerators, but like almost all of them, they're either defunct now or it's like a remote accelerator tied to that, like a city government launched like a municipal, I mean, or a university. And it just kind of feels like a ghost town. So there's, you know, no one has nailed this model. And that, of course, could be a risk, right? If you have no competition, are you first or is it not going to work? You know, are you going down a wrong path? That's always the question. But I personally believe I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think that it was going to work. I think every single entrepreneur says that about their own business. If I'm I'm first, it's like I'm seeing things that other people aren't seeing. But it's one of those things you have to let it play out to find out whether history will remember you for being right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's that's the game of being being a founder, I think. Yeah. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you're just interested in hearing more, whether it's from the the founder side, whether you are experienced, interested in being a mentor, somehow being involved or just wanting to hear more about it, tinyseedfund.com. And there, of course, is an email opt-in there. And we'll be communicating with uh, that list as more details come out. Awesome. Well, on my end, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I need to schedule a personal retreat in the very near future uh, just to kind of straighten out like where my marketing efforts are going to go for Blue Tech because I've had things kind of all over the place for several months now and I haven't really 
I haven't really had solid thoughts on like what the direction should be and kind of where strategically I should be going with the marketing efforts. And unfortunately, it's it's hard to take that time right now just because my wife teaches on Saturdays and my son has soccer games on Saturdays. So for the next three or four weeks, he's got those games and it's just like she can't be in both places at the same time. So I'm going to have to wait, push off on that a little bit. But that is on my short term roadmap, I'll say. Yeah, that's always a good idea. I felt like once or twice a year, I mean, frankly, since I started doing retreats, there always comes this time where you just don't know what to do next. You don't know what to try next. And you need some distance in order to do that. Because if you sit around at your laptop at your home office, you're just going to answer, you know, you're going to write code, you're going to respond to fires and support requests and all that stuff. And getting away for couple days, you know, super valuable. Do you have Sherry's retreat guide, the Zen founder guide to founder retreats? I'm not sure. I think I might. I'm not sure if I have it or not. It's it's just a very good guide to revisit. <laughs> if we, Every time I go on a retreat, I, I pull it up. And, you know, if you're listening to this, haven't heard of it, go to zenfounder.com. And I think there's a products link in there. And it's, it's 19 bucks or something. And it's a, you know, 30, 40 page ebook in essence, but it's kind of everything, all the knowledge that, that Sherry, because Sherry introduced me to founder retreats. And then I talked about it on this podcast and it's kind of spread from there, which I think is a great thing. I've always found them so valuable. And Sherry put together the guide and then had me add as much as, as much as, you know, fill in the gaps basically on it. And so it's really the, in my opinion, kind of the definitive guide for things you should think about as you're going through your retreat. So yeah, I hope you're able to do that soon. It's a bummer to have schedule be the issue. Is there a way just to throw out ideas? Like he has soccer game on Saturday. Could you leave Saturday evening and come back like basically 48 hours, like come back Monday evening or Monday afternoon before the kids get home from school? Probably. Last week was a holiday, so I couldn't have done it that week. And then this coming week, I can't leave on Saturday night because we're going out, basically going out to dinner for our wedding anniversary to celebrate that. And then the following week, I leave for micro. You just cancel so, that. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll just cancel no, that. I'll cancel either <laughs> our you know, anniversary dinner or microgram, one or the other. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to be several weeks, no matter what, at this point. Like, this, there's no way around it, I think. I have a great idea. Do your retreat in Croatia. Just extend your trip a couple extra days. Be like, hey, Ali, I'll be back. Peace out. Have fun with the kids. I'll be back. Well, if I were leaving early, I can't though, because like just because she teaches during the week. I'm just as well. Like I'm Sundays are. I'm joking. I, I know that would not work, but <laughs> yeah, man, it's hard. Totally get it. Oh well. Moving on, I guess we're going to move on to our actual topic for today. So we're going to talk about content promotion tactics. I am digging it, and you pulled this from. We're revisiting a topic that we covered in 2010. Yes. So this is a, a little bit from episode six. And in episode six, it was all about how to get traffic to your website. And I went back and I took a look at that. And there were like some of the links that we had in there, like seobuilding.com, just totally defunct at this point. You can buy that domain if you're really interested for like 3500 bucks. So if anyone's interested. <laughs> there's, I mean, you'll you'll at least be getting traffic from us at this point. No, not some of the links, Mike. I think like 40% of the links that we listed and the approaches are just completely, they either don't work anymore, they're just gone. It's, uh, you know, but this is eight years ago. Like this is, that's, that's an eternity. Yes. But I went back and I looked at it and I was kind of inspired by, I was reading the SAS Mag article that's put out by FE International. They 
kind of launched it at microconf and you can go over to sasmag.com we'll link that up in the show notes and sign up and start getting issues with that but it's a it's aimed at sas founders and talks about various things that are related to the industry and they interview experts from different fields and on what they're doing and kind of what the future looks like and how they got to where they are etc the most recent one I saw has interviews from Patrick Campbell from Price Intelligently, Brennan Dunn from W Freelancing and Right Message, also David Cancel from Drift. So there's a bunch of different people that they've interviewed. But on one of the pages they had, it was kind of a poll that they had taken inside of a Facebook group called SaaS Growth Hacks. And it asked the question, what are the best marketing channels for SaaS companies? And people voted on different things. And content by far was the highest voted thing. And below that, you had forums and Quora posts answering questions there. And then cold email and paid ads ranked about the same. And then below that was partnerships, word of mouth. Below that, free tools. And then the last couple of ones on the list were Twitter, conferences, and LinkedIn messaging, which the way that that shook out does not necessarily surprise me. But the fact that content was still so far up above, I felt like that was a little surprising. Yeah, I find it really interesting too, actually. I think, you know, this is from, as you mentioned, it's from basically marketers. So whether it's founders or, you know, growth marketers or whatever, it's what they are doing these days. I wonder if they're doing these because they're measuring and it works, or if they're doing it because this is kind of the current wave, you know, the current mindset is content is king you know, and, it, and it's the thing that you should start with. So I don't know that that's worth even diving into going down that rabbit trail, but it is something that comes to mind is, is there group think going on and zigging when everyone else is zagging is the best way to go? Or is this really right now, you know, with social and the fact that, you know, email marketing is so powerful and with the SEO benefits of content that content really is where it's at and that's why everyone's there. I think it's partially because of the fact that with content, it is, you can create an article for your website once and it's going to continue drawing traffic in versus if you do like cold calling or a joint venture with somebody, those tend to be, I call them one-off activities, even though you can do them repeatedly, but you don't continue to reap rewards if you're not picking up the phone and cold calling, for example, like you have to keep doing it versus if you go through the effort to create an article, put it on your site and you do well enough with the SEO, you will continue to get traffic much further down the road and you can also promote that piece of content multiple times so it's not about that content is king so much as it is that content is reusable and it allows you to put it in front of people not just multiple times but and put it in front of new people because you're creating this this asset of some kind that other people could find useful and i don't think that like you can't really point somebody to an empty page on your website and expect that it's going to continue to drive clicks Right. And that's that's the thing. I mean, you know, we've talked in the past about how if you're in super early stage, you're pre-product market fit or pre-product, then content's probably not not the right play for you because content is a lot, it's a long game. But once you've found your audience, your product is something people want and you're scaling, that's when I think in general, content is going to be a really good play for you is to get get you from that 5K or 10K MRR that you've just scratched and clawed and, and manually done maybe cold email or just whatever it is to get your first 100 customers. But once you want to go from there, it's like you need more scalable things. And content is one of those avenues. And that's why we're, we're talking about it today. 
So I think what we're going to focus on is we have a couple of resources we'll link to in the show notes. One is from orbitmedia.com and another one is from neilpatel.com. And one of the things that this really points to is the fact that when you are promoting content, there are three essential pieces or channels that you can look at. There's SEO, then there's sending out emails to drive people on your mailing list back to your site, and there's social sharing. And kind of where those intersect is like you can promote your content into each of those places, but depending on what your needs are, you are going to put more effort into one versus the other. And the whole idea of this is like, if you do it through social media, you're going to try and get additional shares or followers. If you're trying to get additional subscriptions to your mailing list, it's going to help you grow your list for email marketing. And if a visitor comes in and they they link to your content from someplace else, you're going to rank higher in search engines. So the idea is to create this feedback loop of you doing all of those three things in order to kind of amplify your traffic and out from that, essentially, you end up with leads on the other side of it. So it's it's really just a, an engine that you're creating. And if you go, if you have a ton of people on your mailing list, like you can start asking them and trying to help promote on other things. So you can say, hey, can you promote this on social media? And you can leverage them back and forth between each other to kind of amplify the entire system. Yeah, content does have this unique advantage, which is one reason that marketers like it so much is it really has this trifecta of value that it brings, these three uses. Because I'll step to another example. Let's say I'm running Facebook ads and I'm getting that to work. Facebook ads send typically cold traffic to a page and you might get trial signups. You might have to retarget them. You might have to get them on an email list. But those ads you're paying for and they really have one purpose and it's to drive some traffic one time. Content, on the other hand, has three uses. Maybe it has more, but the three main ones that I've seen and I've used and that have worked really well, the first is social media, right? It's it's getting that buzz because you put out a new article or essay or ebook or video or whatever, but you get people to talk about you on Twitter and LinkedIn and you know Facebook or wherever else your your folks reside. And you can get that quick social media bump of, hey, everyone's talking about this cool new thing that came out. Okay. Then it dies down, and that would be one use. But an, another use for this exact same content is you email your whole list, right? And that can help with the social media aspect, right? It helps if more people know about it, then more people talk about it. But it gives you an excuse to contact your email list. And every time you contact your email list, you're probably going to get more trials, more interest in your product. And then the third use is this long play of SEO. If you put out good content and it hits the right keywords, and you do have links back or you have social shares that are pointing back, it rises in the ranks. And so long-term, people searching for these terms in Google come back to it. And I don't know offhand, I haven't given it a ton of thought, but I don't know offhand of another marketing approach that has that many solid benefits. This super short-term bump, the email bump, and you know email list bump, and then the long-term play uh, of SEO. So I, I believe it's pretty unique in that, that respect. So let's dive into the first section, which is social media. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through and just kind of very briefly highlight some of the different tactics that are listed on a couple of these different reference articles that we pointed to earlier. And the first one is to mention people who are going to like your article and, you know, they like the content of it or directly reference people who are quoted in the article. One example of how well this would work is if you interview somebody and they are you know, relatively high profile in the industry that you serve, for example, if you mention them in the social media post, they are more likely to share it than if you were to email them directly and then say, hey, can you tweet this out for me? Because then you're asking them like, hey, can you create a tweet and then post this versus 
they see it in their social media feed and they can just literally hit retweet and they don't have to do any work. It's just a matter of like what your ask is of them. But if I see something where it uh, has referenced me, for example, and if I commented on an article or was in a podcast, I'm almost certain to, to retweet that and like it just to give it more visibility. Yeah, that's a nice tactic. I've definitely seen that. At a minimum, I'm going to like something if if I click through and it's like, oh yeah, that was that quote I gave you two months ago. And like you said, if it's if it's a legit post, because sometimes I'll you'll get asked for a quote or a comment on, you know, what's the hardest thing about validating product or what what are the marketing approaches that were working today or whatever. And they're doing an expert roundup, and I'm it's cool to participate in those. Some of them are really really good and really well put together, and others are kind of someone doing a halfway job of it, you know, or maybe they're new or whatever. And so, but the best ones, uh, when I get a mention like that, it's pretty certain I'm going to click through and then, you know, based on the quality of it, decent likelihood that I will retweet that. Another one is to tweet quotes from the content. And the nice thing about this is you can create multiple tweets and schedule them using Buffer or a variety of other tools and get them out there in such a way that you're not repeating yourself. And different quotes are going to attract different types of people. So if, you know, there's a, a quote about, I don't know, search engine marketing, for example, you could put that in there. And then there could be something else, which is optimizing search engine marketing. And those are, one is very broad and then another one is a little bit more specific. And depending on the person who sees it, if they're more interested in one or the other, they're going to they're going to click on it. Another approach is you're not just going to tweet this once, especially if it's a big piece of content, because the the longer form, more frankly, more expensive, you know, whether it's time expense or, or actual costs that you're paying someone to build it, the longer form, more expensive pieces of content are the ones that are winning today and the ones that are getting the tweets. So you're not just going to tweet this once and be done a good strategy is to tweet it once and then schedule some near future and distant future tweets. Because if you think about it, in three months, the buzz from this ebook or, or audio piece or whatever blog post will have died off, but it's probably still relevant and valuable. And so it's something not to bother people with, but to bring back up and remind them, hey, you know, this is this is still valuable and, and legitimate. And obviously, even within the first, let's say, first week, I forget what the number is, but it's isn't it like five percent of your followers see any of your you know any of your individual tweets? Yeah, it's on a per day basis, I think. Yeah, so it's like you know one one approach is to as we've said in the past, kind of have a you know once a day tweet this out for the first three, four, five days, right? So that more people see it, especially if it's a really good piece of content, it can be worth it. You can also irritate people, and they'll unfollow you if you're just kind of spamming them with the same links over and over. So you have to use your head here, like any other strategy. But this is definitely something I've seen marketers doing. A nice offshoot of that is to share a short video on Twitter, Facebook, you know, whether it's Facebook groups or on your Facebook page or inside of LinkedIn. And the idea of this short video is to more or less give a very quick overview or summary of what the piece of content you have is. It's not to talk about the entire content. It's not that you're trying to drive people to watch the video. What you're really just trying to do is help get those people who prefer a different medium. Some people like to skim things and read it. And then there's people out there who like to watch a video, but you also don't want to overwhelm them with like, oh, I just popped onto Twitter and I'm expecting to be here for a couple minutes. They're not going to have time for like a 30 minute video, but they may sit down and watch like a 30 second video or a 15 second video that just talks about like, hey, if you're interested in this, come over and check it out. But you just want to be sensitive to the fact that some people like to consume that information in different formats. The other nice benefit of sharing it like that is that you tend to get the videos will be shared on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn as like your face. And there's a very different 
type of algorithm that those companies use in order to highlight those, those types of posts. Another approach is to syndicate your content on LinkedIn, Medium, and other avenues. Syndication is just a fancy word for either repost it there or take an excerpt from it and repost there. So you can imagine if you've written this 100-page ebook, The Definitive Guide to Social Media Marketing or Email Marketing or whatever. You don't post that whole thing on LinkedIn, but maybe you take, you know, because you can put LinkedIn kind of blog posts-ish, like you take the, uh, a really great thousand words from that and you post it on LinkedIn and then you link out to the book. You can do the same with Medium, although you could go longer form there, right? You could post an entire chapter from that book. So maybe you do 5,000, 3,000, 5,000 words on Medium. And again, say this is an excerpt from, you know, from this book. Or, you know, if it's a video, maybe you do a transcript of part of it. These are ways that if you have built a following or, you know, if you think that those networks will be intrigued by the title and the content of this stuff, then reusing this content is a nice way to reuse that effort. Because if you, if you spent a month or two writing this ebook or making this amazing tutorial video or whatever, you want to get it out in as many forms as possible. And so that's, that's what syndication is. So the next section we're going to talk about is email marketing. And many of these, I think, are probably going to be pretty familiar to most people listening to this. But we're going to go through them anyway because it is a kind of a major section of the, as Rob talked about, the, the trifecta here of content marketing. But the first one is sending out the links to it through your email list. And one thing you definitely want to make sure that you're doing here is you're putting calls to action in there. I have mixed feelings on whether or not you should post like the entire piece of content in the email versus having it on your website because there's advantages and disadvantages to both. And I think you need just need to make a judgment call about whether you want it on your website where people can go to it versus you're just putting, trying to make sure that you get it in front of people on your email list. So if it's something that you want exclusively for people on your mailing list, you know, obviously you can put it in there, but people also have a somewhat limited attention span if it comes to something in their email. So I do think it's uh, worth being cautious and making some measurements around like are people actually reading that and then taking action on it. But again, that's kind of a judgment call. Yeah, my kind of default rule of thumb for this is if you're doing personal brand stuff, if it's like, you know, Patrick McKenzie or Brennan Dunn or Rob Walling blogging and then sending it to their list, it's probably fine if you post the entire article you know, in the email because people are engaged with you and they, and the content is, I don't know, really, really gripping and, and they tend to want to, or hopefully it's really gripping and they tend to want to read the whole thing and they can read it on their phone or whatever. That's my general rule. And then if you're doing it as a business, so when Drip was sending it out, you know, or if Bluetick were sending out a, a post, I would probably do a teaser and a really snazzy excerpt with an image and then say, click through to read the full thing. And some people will click and some people won't, but it will get you traffic because the end goal there is to get traffic to your site, hopefully get people to, you know, share it from there and sign up for a trial or whatever. So again, that's my general rule, how I lean, but I think that you can certainly break those rules if you know your audience better. Or as you said, if you look at the numbers and, it, you know, it's telling you that those are not, that's not the, the best way to do it. Yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd have to definitely choose to put, like if you had a, an email course, for example, a lot of times you're going to put the, the course directly in the email, and you may not want that course directly on your website. You may want to reserve it just for people on your mailing list. And maybe that's because they don't get to the mailing list until there's a certain amount of trust gained, or maybe the purpose of that email sequence is to establish trust. And then you send them short, shorter emails later on with the links back to the articles. But again, it's, you know, as you said, it's lesson from ways to do it. 
Right. And this particular point of whether to include all the content in the email is really only relevant for probably blog posts, because if you're putting out an ebook, it's going to be too long. If you're putting out a video course or uh, one video, you can't embed that in email. You can certainly embed an image that links out somewhere. If you're creating, you know, any kind of downloadable content, like you're not going to be able to put that in email anyways. So it's only if, if you're doing kind of the, the blog content engine or short essays. As a kind of an addendum to this, you can send out, in case you missed it, follow-up emails. And obviously, you can put those directly into the email campaigns, and it works really well because I've seen Drip actually put this in there directly and specifically for that reason. But you get anywhere from like a 20 to 40% lift in opens just by resending an email with a different subject line for the exact same email. So if somebody didn't open it, you basically resend them that email. Yeah, we did, we did add that, and it's pretty quite quite successful. Another tactic you can do is if you put out, let's say you put out three blog posts a week, you can recap either at the end of the week or at the end of the month and just have a, a separate email that you pull up, hey, in case you missed it, here are all the posts from the past week or month, or here are like our top picks or the most popular five, you know, from the past month. And it's just, it's one more way to reach out to the audience, provide them with additional content, and you didn't have to produce that content. It's just, you know, linking back to stuff that they they probably missed because they probably didn't read, you know, every article. Next on the list is you can also send those notifications directly to some of your high-value contacts. So you can either do these as personal emails instead of broadcast emails, or you can find people that are on your list who may not necessarily be subscribed to like a particular campaign, or they're tagged in a certain way or segmented somehow, and you say, hey, I think that these people would be really great candidates to see this particular piece of content. So maybe if they opted into a particular lead magnet, then you would send the, the content to them. But it's really about being a lot more targeted about who you're sending it to. And again, this is where personal emails to people can really shine just because if they do see an email coming in and it's from your company versus from you personally, they're probably a little less likely to treat it as, hey, this person took the time to reach out to me, so I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to it. But sometimes the emails that are coming in from like a generic newsletter email address Sometimes people have rules or filters set up so that they go into a certain place and by sending it directly, a lot of times it will bypass those defaults because they just didn't think to set them up. And a final thought, I mean, there are 50 content promotion ideas in, in the Orbit Media post alone, but uh, another one that, that you pulled out is to notify your sources of a new post. And this is similar to doing it on social media, but emailing people directly, hey, you remember the article I interviewed you for, that's live. If you'd like to share it, it would be great. Here's a link. Or if there's 18 people because it's a roundup, you do the same thing, right? You, you notify them all, and uh, certainly a few people will likely help, help promote that for you. If you give them a like a short snippet or a summary, you can also ask them to promote it to their own email list, and then you're essentially amplifying the efforts there. So let's dive into SEO. So when you're looking at SEO, obviously what you want to do is you want to align the content of those posts with key phrases that you have kind of pulled out after doing some keyword research. And there's a lot of different tools that you can use for that. And we've talked about them in the past, but the other thing that you can do is when you take that phrase and you plug it into Google, scroll all the way to the bottom, and there's a place where it says related phrases. And those are things that Google also recognizes that people are searching for. And it doesn't tell you numbers or how many people are searching for them, but there's a good chance that if you were to take those and put them into the article and kind of sprinkle them around, you're also going to pick up additional SEO benefit and additional traffic by using those phrases. And it's going to end up in front of more people. Yeah, SEO is such a 
it's a large and ever more complex subject. And eight years ago, we could probably give you like the five things you have to do to rank. And these days, the list is just longer and longer and it's more complicated. So I don't think we can do a full treatment, you know, of how to SEO your your blog posts or your eBooks. It's probably a, not only an entire podcast, but at this point, probably an entire ebook or book that you need to read to kind of get it down. But another tactic is to cross-link from other posts you have or other resources or other websites you have. Because obviously, links, while links are slightly less valuable than they used to be, you could just build links in the old days and rank for everything, links are still very valuable, especially from authority sites. So if you have control of an authority site or authority sites, you can cross-link from relevant posts or relevant sites and help that new content rank higher in Google. And previously, I had mentioned that you could create a short video and post it on various social media sites. You can also use the video there to embed into the website itself to just give people at the top of a brief intro to what they're going to be reading about. And the nice benefit there is that when people are doing searches inside of Google, they have a tendency to show videos very, very high up in the list because most people aren't creating videos that they're using directly for content. And they're really trying to push people in that direction. So I do see a lot of videos get posted or show up in the search results, even though I'm not personally looking specifically for videos. But they, there is a significant benefit that I've seen for posts that include a video in them. And of course, there's submitting to the, there are platforms, social platforms. There's Reddit, Hacker News, Product Hunt, even Dig, although I'm not sure that that's, that's worth doing at this point. You and I were just looking at it before this episode. But those, those are the kinds of things. And that whole list shifts based on what your content is and who your target is. You can also do paid promotion on StumbleUpon, Outbrain, Link Within, Taboola. Like they're often lower quality and they're more consumer oriented and it's people just kind of skipping from one thing to the next. So if you're true like B2B enterprise SaaS, it's probably not, you know, worth doing any of these. Um, I would look more at like LinkedIn paid promotion or something like that. But there's this whole world of both these social social news platforms, social discovery platforms, and these kind of paid, you know, paid ways to get in front of them. So getting on those, if you can get a backlink, if you can get voted up, it will, you know, help well help in the short term with kind of the social media bump, right? Because more people know about it. But then in the longer term, it's, you know, it's another link back to you. And with that, I think we're wrapped up for the day. If you have a question for us, call our voicemail number at 888-801-9690 or email us at questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot, used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us in iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.